Today on We Here, Bravo has asked for Vanderpump Rules stars over past racist behavior. Anna Winter admits that Vogue has been hurtful and intolerant to its Black staff members. We also have an update on the toxic culture at Bon Appetit. And reformed party animal Kate Moss is now in bed by 11 p.m. every night. Coming up next on We Here. Oh my god. We're on page six? No. Oh, no. Yeah. Another divorce splashed across page six. Page six would have a field day. Hey there, I'm Maggie Coglin. And I'm Ian Moore, and welcome to We Hear, a Page Six podcast. We hear all the celebrity dirt from our exclusive sources, and you hear the story behind the story. So many stories today. Uh, we have to just jump right into this Vanderpump Rules story because this is crazy. So Stasi Schroeder and Kristen Dowdy, right, have been fired from the show, along with two of the new who cares about them cast members <laughs> who didn't last long and shouldn't have lasted long. And it's all over their racist behavior. So what happened, Maggie? So much has happened. So do you remember Faith Stowers, who played a very important role in Vanderpump Rules, although she was only on for one season? I don't, you know, I, the fact that you even have to say, do you remember? I, I, of course I remember Faith because Jack's, Taylor, while he was, was he engaged yet to Britney? No, they were just dating. So they were just dating, but they were living together, serious relationship on the way to an engagement. And Jax slept with Faith, but the, the detail was that she was a caretaker of an elderly woman in like her 90s. And they had sex in the same room with this old lady i mean so the whole thing was just totally shocking and disturbing and then it became a huge plot line on the show but yes. then faith who is black and was is the only black cast member ever on vanderpump rules then she was suddenly gone right and right. jackson and britney stayed together and got engaged and got their own spin-off show and the whole thing and faith was out right and while faith's run on the show was short-lived we are now learning about some incidents that happened between Stasi, Kristen, racist behavior, and Faith. Yeah, and so, it's bullying, right? They bullied her, and it's like, it's really disturbing what they did. It's like pretty crazy. Yes. So Faith went on Instagram Live recently, and she alleged that Stasi and Kristen had called the police on her. And I shouldn't even say alleged because Stasi appeared on a podcast called The Bitch Bible in 2018 in which she talked about the incident. She talked about calling the police on Faith after she had seen an article in the Daily Mail where there was a black woman charged with a crime. I believe the charge was that she had stolen something and that she and Kristen had called the police and said it was Faith. Kristen Dowdy also tweeted about this. She said something along the lines of addressing her followers like, hey, Tweeties, doesn't this thief look familiar is essentially what she said. So, yeah. The other cast members who I mentioned. So this year, Vanderpump Rules cast a bunch of new people to try and sort of spice up the show with some new blood. And then two of those stars. This was earlier in the season. Their past racist tweets had been uncovered, right? So they weren't 
they were yeah. already in hot water with the show. And Lisa Vanderpump had even defended her choice to keep them on staff at her restaurants and have them appear on the show. Now, Lisa Vanderpump has previously said to her staff, quote, if I fired every one of you that have made mistakes, it doesn't matter to what degree, probably none of you would have a job, end quote. Of course, that doesn't just concern allegations of racism, but all of the crazy antics that the cast have gotten themselves into. But now Bravo has come out and Evolution Media, the company that produces Vanderpump Rules, and said that they're no longer working with Kristen, Stassi, Max, or Brett. So basically, the way I see it is this is the end of Vanderpump Rules, pretty much, right? I mean, the show's done. We've discussed this before that... Viewers were kind of calling for it to end as it was. They found that the storytelling was contrived and there was a whole issue in which Ariana had filmed a scene with Lisa about her depression. And you could tell it was shot over two different oh, yeah. times. It wasn't consistent. You know, you could tell by her hair and her makeup. So people were already calling for it to end. And now with this information, I also think it's important to point out that before Bravo announced on Tuesday that Stassi, Kristen, Max, and Brett were being dropped. Stassi Schroeder, who's been kind of the success story on Vanderpump Rules, was dropped by all of these companies that she has uh, like sponsorships with. She was dropped by Billy, the razor company, Ritual, the vitamin company. And now her podcast, Straight Up with Stassi, has disappeared from Apple Podcasts. It is no longer available on that platform. Wow. I wonder if her boyfriend is going to disappear next. Well, I mean, the interesting thing here is that Bo Clark, her boyfriend, works in casting. And as we talk more and more about inclusivity and diversity in Hollywood, you're going to want to see more black faces on TV. You want to see more black people in movies, hosting. You know, we want more black people in front of the camera. If Bo is affiliated with Stassi, who's been accused of this racist behavior, and she's also admitted to racist behavior, do you want that man in the room when casting is going on? Damn, Maggie, that's a good point. Well, before Bravo fired Stassi, she was also dropped by her agency and her PR firm. And her Hollywood agency was UTA, which is a huge Hollywood agency. And they rep a lot of really big TV stars and TV talent, a lot of people in broadcasting. So it shows how big these reality stars have become and how high the stakes are. And they dropped Stassi before Bravo did. The other thing is, I wonder if Bo, her boyfriend, is just kicking himself because it's like, you know, maybe it's like you get in a relationship with a reality star and you're like, this is absolute hell. Remember, she used to get like drunk and like scream and yell at him and text him and she would turn into the dark passenger. Remember that? Mm -hmm, And now it's mm -hmm. like, I went through all this and I thought I was going to be famous and now I'm stuck with this fired racist disaster. Great. I think also... Yes, Stasi. The thing is, the Vanderpump Rules stars, right? It started off where they were working at Lisa Vanderpump's restaurants. Then obviously they became famous in their own right. So now they really make their livings. They've got books, and Stasi did have a book. You know, they've got, as you mentioned, podcasts. They've got sponsorship deals. They've got all this stuff. So yeah, it, it's pretty bad. And I think that I, I just think the show's over, as you said. It's. I mean, I am. As I've said before, I I was a diehard Vanderpump Rules fan and felt very vindicated where a few years ago, the New York Times thankfully did an article about how, you know, intellectuals can appreciate the Vanderpump Rules. So at least I didn't have to defend myself anymore for liking trashy TV. But even this season, I have to admit, like I watched the first couple episodes and then I, even before this whole controversy with 
Stassi and Kristen kicked up. During the coronavirus pandemic, I have to admit, like, I just stopped watching it because I found the show there was something that sort of changed about it, or I just found it to be kind of, I don't know, it was like too frivolous and too trashy and just sort of too, I, I don't know, it just, it it sort of, I guess it was of its era and that era mm-hmm. is over and it's kind of run its course. The interesting thing that you say that is, you know, obviously now that we're all still in quarantine, Bravo is airing the Vanderpump Rules reunion. So last night, part two of the reunion aired, which I believe they filmed either in early May or late April. So while it's playing out in real life that, you know, four members of the cast are gone, we're still watching them talk about these storylines that are totally meaningless in comparison to what's going on in the world and what's going on in their personal lives. Yeah, I think also it's like obviously their hijinks was sort of entertaining, but to see how ugly this thing is with Stasi and Kristen and and Faith, it's just, I don't know, it seems to me it's just like the nail in the coffin for the show. And I think Bravo should probably just do away with the franchise and that's it. I mean, it's sort of like looking a lot like the Jersey Shore, which was a huge sensation. And now it just seems like a kind of dated thing of the past. I think Vanderpump Rules has hit that. And I just don't think the show could really come back from this this incident with Faith. And then also, it, it does also show, we were talking yesterday about The Bachelor and how it's hard to believe that in 40 seasons of the show, first of all, I don't understand how they, there could be 40 seasons of The Bachelor um, in such a short period of time, but I just, I'm not very good at math. You know, there's never been a black bachelor. There's only been one black bachelorette. Same thing like Vanderpump Rules. It's the fact that they've only had one black cast member on the show in all this time. It just seems like it's kind of done. There's got to be like a farm baseball team who we could cast for a Bravo thing. Like the Real Housewives of, I don't know, the Mets farm team. The Real Housewives of the the Real House Husbands of Pawtucket? Yeah, exactly. Free idea. As Condé Nast comes under a microscope for their treatment of BIPOC staff, Anna Winter has released a statement. She's written an emotional note to staff in which she says she wants to start by acknowledging their feelings and expressing her empathy towards what so many of you are going through. Sadness, hurt, and anger too. Now, do we have to say again, because it is a new term, the BIPOC acronym? Sure, let's let's let people what, know what it is again. What does it stand for, Maggie? Otherwise, Black. people might think it's like a union at Condé Nast. BIPOC stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. Thank you. Um, yeah, Anna Winter, um, our own Sarah Nathan of Page Six, got a look at a an emotional note that Anna Winter wrote to staff at Vogue saying, I want to start by acknowledging your feelings and expressing my empathy towards what so many of you are going through, sadness, hurt, and anger too. I want to say this especially to the Black members of our team. I can only imagine what these days have been like, but I also know that the hurt and violence and injustice we're seeing and talking about have been around for a long time. Recognizing it and doing something about it is overdue. Or maybe in the voice of Anna Winterby, overdue. So this note from Anna comes, this this note was sent a few days before Adam Rappaport, editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit, resigned on Monday. That's a good point. Yeah. So even before his resignation, she was reaching out to staff to discuss these issues. Yeah. She also said, I want to say plainly that I know Vogue has not found enough ways to elevate and give space 
to black editors, writers, photographers, designers, and other creators. We have made mistakes too, publishing images or stories that have been hurtful or intolerant. I take full responsibility for those mistakes. And then she also wrote, it can't be easy to be a black employee at Vogue and there are too few of you. I know that it is not enough to say we will do better, but we will. Hmm. And please know that I value your voices and responses as we move forward. I am listening and would like you to hear your feedback and your advice if you would like to share either. This is a hard one to pull apart because Anna being at the head of Vogue has a very active role. She could really have changed this before, you know, like she she says it like it, it just happens to be that there aren't that many black staffers. It's like, well, you're in charge of it, you know, like, yeah, you could do something about this. Yeah, it also is a little bit like the thing of like, you know, oh, it must be really hard to work here and be black and there are too few of you. It, I, I don't know. It. I agree, Maggie. I think, I mean, it's interesting because on, on one hand, I think it's obviously that it, it's a good message to get out there and to tell her staff. But I also wonder if it's a if it's a thing of trying to kind of get out in front of something before the inevitable tsunami of criticism, you know, hits. And I think that Vogue has, there've already been, there has already been in the past criticism of Vogue for not being inclusive enough um, in various ways, including um, the representation of black people in its pages. And, you know, Anna Winter, she, she's been heavily involved in democratic politics for years. I mean, she was a big Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton supporter. So she has been involved in liberal causes. And it is a little hard to believe that she kind of just found out about this yesterday or this week or last week and then wrote up a memo on it to do something there. As you say, there were a lot of more opportunities in the past. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the reaction to this memo is. I think, you know, we've reported on stories like, for example, the Adam Rappaport story that you mentioned at Bon Appetit, where people are coming out with their experiences and feel more liberated to talk about what's been going on at these magazines and all sorts of other institutions and and places. And so you have to think that there are going to be some people maybe coming out and talking about Vogue as well. Yes. That leads me to my next point, which is that Business Insider today published a new story about what the culture is like at Bon Appetit for BIPOC, that the Adam Rappaport resignation comes on the heels of a reporter already investigating the culture there and that they had been working on this story for weeks leading up to his exit and that they talked to everyone from Rappaport's assistants to staffers to people who appeared on video. And it's sounds like the culture there is not one that values BIPOC. It did seem like when the story about Adam Rappaport, who was the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit, came out, there was this past picture of him seemingly dressed derogatorily as a Puerto Rican at a Halloween party with his wife, I guess wearing sort of brown makeup. Business Insider reported that Rappaport texted them and said regarding that controversial photo, quote, on the record, I was not wearing makeup or face coloring of any sort in that photograph, end quote. And then there were also allegations that minority staffers were not included in certain opportunities there to do videos or to get compensated for the videos, even though Conde Nast denied that that was the case. But 
Adam Rappaport resigned pretty much immediately after the story came out. So you knew there was going to be more to the story. So perhaps if Business Insider was already working on this other piece, there was another shoe that was going to drop. And I guess one detail in the Business Insider piece is that that offensive photo, there was a source who told them that he actually had it in his desk. So it wasn't necessarily something that was just like, oh, here's some random thing that happened in 2004. And like, I totally forgot about it. And it was questionable judgment. It was like, hey, you, this wasn't sort of in the haze of the past. It was something that you were not ashamed of that you had it in your desk at, at work. And it was framed, apparently, according to the report. Right. And a young Black woman who worked as one of Adam Rapport's assistants said that she had been going back and forth with him about a raise and that while he checked in with her on the weekends and was told by HR, don't contact this person on the weekends, her job requirements do not require her to be in touch with you as your assistant on the weekends. It, it kind of really shed a lot of light to the behaviors going on. She recalls an incident in which she asked him how he wanted his coffee to be prepared. And he said, allegedly, quote, like Rihanna. Oh, God. So meanwhile, over at Condé Nast's rival, Hearst, Harper's Bazaar named Samira Nasser, who had been at Vanity Fair, as its new editor-in-chief, which makes her the first Black woman to head a major fashion title. I'm really excited to see what she does with Harper's Bazaar. Yeah, I mean, the timing of that, uh, that had, I think, been in the works for a while before all of this, uh, before George Floyd's death had happened I and, and all the protests had happened. But um, you know, because Glenda Bailey, who was the longtime editor of Harper's Bazaar, had stepped down. So yeah, Glenda Bailey, who had been at Harper's Bazaar for almost 20 years, stepped down in January. So there had been a, a search for a new editor-in-chief since then. I think it's important to note that Harper's Bazaar has been around for 153 years and that she is the first Black woman at the top. In 153 years. Another thing to mention, though, if you look at Condé Nast, I mean, I was thinking about this, that when Radhika Jones, the editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair, took over for Graydon Carter, I think that a lot of people in the media world kind of poo-pooed her um, making the magazine more woke. Remember, her first cover, one of her first covers was Lena Waithe was on the cover. Mm -hmm. And people thought, and, and she appeared in sort of like she's wearing a tank top, and people thought that you know, it wasn't a Vanity Fair cover. I mean, it, you know, it was very different than what was going on in the Graydon Carter era. But there was a lot of kind of negative buzz, I think, out there about, you know, making the magazine more woke. But in my mind, it's like now all these other magazines are scrambling to sort of head in that direction. And perhaps Vanity Fair was actually kind of ahead of the curve on this. And now it's, you know, we're going to see magazines like Vogue following suit. Of course, Anna Winter isn't just the editor-in-chief of Vogue. She's the creative director of all of Condé Nast. Perhaps her memo about Vogue will also reach to the other titles. In a new interview in Elle, Kate Moss says that her former days as a party girl are far behind her. So far that she now insists on being in bed by 11 p.m. every night. Wow, this is a major change. In a yeah. toxic environment, in a toxic world, she's removing the toxins. She's going detoxing. to bed early. She's detoxing. 
So you might remember that Kate was once nicknamed the tank for her ability to put away vodka while she was like out on the town, you know? Now she says she needs at least eight hours of sleep or she gets moody the next day. She's been watching Netflix. She wakes up at 8 a.m. And if she doesn't get her eight hours of sleep, she's groggy in the afternoon, which I'm like, wow, do we all just do this? Like, this is growing up? You trade the vodka for the Netflix or what? This is just like another thing that makes me feel kind of old, Maggie, because I feel like in my constellation of things that are just like out there that make the world sort of orbit on its, you know, turn on its axis and whatever is Kate Moss being like an insane party girl. 2020 is quite the year, even for Kate Moss. Yeah, actually, speaking of major changes in 2020, I wrote an item that ran today that the Dalai Lama is dropping his first album. What? I'm surprised he didn't already have an album, to be quite honest with you. In a way, it's kind of true. Yeah, he's dropping an album. It's coming out July 6th, which is also on his 85th birthday. And basically, the album is called Inner World, and it's uh, it's mantras and teachings set to music. And it's his first album, and actually, the first track, the debut single, was released today. It's called Compassion. Ooh, are there it's, are, it's, it's, it's are there it, lyrics? Well, there it's lyrics, but it sounds like the lyrics are sung by whales. Maybe we can take a few. Notes, we could hear a few notes. Yeah, it says that the the first track, according to the Dalai Lama's PR, (laughs) sent me this information. Maybe repping the the record company, actually, which is called Chondro Music. It says that this first track, Compassion, it sets the tone of the album by cultivating love and empathy for ourselves and all beings. Wow. Maybe Anna Winder should listen to this. Um, The... uh, (laughs) I actually think this is the summer anthem, though. This is going to be the summer banger that 2020 needed. Forget this. Like, Lady Gaga has to be shaking in her boots right now because just when you thought she was going to own the summer with her new album, the Dalai Lama comes in here and he's like, cue the whales. I got whales on this track who guested. Because he, he I got an whales. orca. I got an orca who wants to hear a banger. I got an orca. Actually, one of the guest musicians on the album is Anushka Shankar. She is Ravi Shankar's daughter. And she's also Nora Jones's sister. So she's jamming up in there. I mean, imagine it's like you go, you go to the recording studio, you're like in the recording studio and like the Dalai Lama's in the booth spitting some tracks. And then you've got like a whale, like lighting up a blunt, you know what I mean? And then like Wiz Khalifa is like producing this shit. And it's just like, and like Richard Gere comes in and he's like, yeah, <laughs> play that hook again. Richard Gere. And then there is like an actual llama in like a monastery. <laughs> I'm just going to name, can I name some of the other tracks? One, the, 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 it leads off with one of my favorite prayers that it goes into the Buddha. That shit is going to be live. (laughs) The Buddha. Continue with the track list, sir. Compassion, courage, healing, wisdom, purification, protection, children. Oh, I see what he's doing there on track 10. You're like, let's bring this shit down, yo, with some children. (laughs) And then we're going to end with 
humanity. It's going to be like, once this social distancing thing is over, he's going to be like, you know the words, Wembley? This next tune is called Children. Well, that is it for this episode of We Here. Our show is produced by Jamila Zara-Williams and Melissa Caceres. We would love to hear your questions and comments about the show. Please send us an email at podcasts at nypost.com. To hear the latest We Here episodes, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. And don't forget to leave us a review, especially if you're upset about the Dalai Lama. We will be back next week with more Page 6 exclusives. See you then.